to the Republic of Middle-Aged Men. Uh, as usual, you have your three hosts. You have myself, Tim. Hello. Uh, you have Lachlan. Hi. And Ruben. G'day. Uh, gentlemen, some say... <laughs> no. Um, how's your week been? I have a beer again. It's uh, still the Italian beer. I think it's going to be the beer of choice for this book. I'm just really enjoying <laughs> Italian beer at the moment. Uh, probably because I'm missing Rome every single hour of every single day. <laughs> yeah. What are you drinking? Uh, on, that, on that theme, I've got a uh, Italian beverage as well. What is it? Uh, well, I've got a uh, Melfi Rosso um, gin, which is uh, rather nice. It's grapefruit flavoured. Rather nice. Fresh, given it's a bit warm in Sydney tonight. Awesome. Very nice. It is warm. Um, how about you, Rubes? What are you drinking there? Yeah, Heineken for the big man. <laughs> As always, that was the special. Heineken. <laughs> it's got to be the special. <laughs> um, there was a lot of German beer for sale, I noticed, on Saturday at my local bottle shop, which was interesting. Hmm. And they were pretty much out of Italian beer. The only Italian beer they had was Peroni. Yeah. I saw uh, Dan's had the red label Peronis now too. Um, Ooh. They, were, uh, they were pretty cheap, but it was like 42 bucks a case or something, which, uh, you know, it's it's ludicrous that the imported legitimate Peroni is cheaper than the Australian fake Peroni, which is 50 bucks a case. <laughs> <laughs> I will happily drink the Italian one. Absolutely. It is very nice. <laughs> uh, so, yes, we're back. Uh, we're, I don't know, halfway, do you think? How far in do we think we are? It's not a big one. Mm. It's, no, it's no Republic. Mm. This is true. <laughs> um, I'm really enjoying it, though. It does feel similar to the Republic in how much I'm enjoying it, and the amount of fun I have reading it is like it's it's more entertaining than most of what's on TV. <laughs> so I'm quite happily picking it up and reading it and rereading it as I go and um, having a giggle. It's good. I'd agree with you on that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know you've got an audio version of it, Rubes. Um, do you listen to that when you're like mowing the lawns or that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah, pretty much, or, you know, maybe on a way to work, whatever. Nice, nice. I've been trying to listen to the audiobook of uh, 12 More Rules for Life by Mrs. Mm -hmm. Jordan Peterson, who we'll talk about later. But, um, yeah, I can't keep listening to it every single drive. It's read by Jordan Peterson, and listening to it on the way to and from work five days a week... Uh, was mm. proving a bit too much last week. So I think I'm listening to it maybe one in three or one in four journeys just to sort of chip away at it. Mm. A fair call. I mean, stuff tends to be pretty uh, dense and, um, yeah, crosses over a few different ways on the way through. So, <laughs> yes. Mm. Um, I saw this little clip on 
Facebook, I think it was, of this guy explaining like how men think on a whiteboard. And he showed like idea, destination, straight line. And that's how we converse. So we'll go, mm. oh, I want a beer. I'm going to go buy a beer. I bought a beer. And he goes like, this is how women do it. And it's like squiggle all over the place to get to the destination. <laughs> going all over. And the crowd obviously laughs because there's men and women in his audience. And um, he's like, you know, they, they say, oh, you know, I'm thirsty. I would like a wine. But I feel like a wine because, and then this happened, and then this happened, and it sort of takes 50 more steps to get to the same destination. And he goes, this is the difference between how men and women think. And I thought, Peterson talks like a woman. <laughs> In that analogy. <laughs> he goes all over the place. But the purpose of, so yeah, this is a piece I forgot to mention. So he said like the purpose of the man speaking is I have a problem and here's the solution. The purpose of the woman mm. is I have a problem. I want to talk to you about my problem without a solution. So it occurred to me like, I think Peterson talks through it like a feminine way, but then still arrives at the solution, Yeah. which is why I think both men and women can listen to him and sort of be blown away as mm. well. Like, you just took 30 tangents and it made sense. How did this happen? <laughs> Not everyone will agree with you that it still made sense after 30 tangents, but, uh, <laughs> well, I thought it made sense. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so I thought that was fine. All right. Well, um, let's kick off. Uh, we're up to the part that says someone will say, yeah, I think uh, last week we left off. I think last week he got done dispensing with uh, Miletus's argument that he was an atheist or something to that effect. Yes. Didn't he say something about how can you believe in the art of training a donkey but not believing in an ass or something like that? <laughs> yeah, that, that's about balls at the end. I'm surprised he didn't say, you know, it's like believing in uh, sophistry but not believing in an ass. <laughs> I would have liked to have seen that. All right, so um, I'll read this next paragraph and we'll discuss that. So here we go. Sounds good. Uh, someone will say, and are you not ashamed, Socrates, of a course of life which is likely to bring you to an untimely end? To him I may fairly answer, there you are mistaken. A man who is good for anything ought not to calculate the chance of living or dying. He ought only to consider whether in doing anything he is doing right or wrong, acting the part of a good man or of a bad. Whereas, upon your view, the heroes who fell at Troy were not good for much, and the son of Thetis above all, who altogether despised danger in comparison with disgrace. And when he was so eager to slay Hector, his goddess mother said to him that if he avenged his companion Patroclus, and slew Hector, he would die himself. Fate, she said, in these or the like words, waits for you next after Hector. He, receiving this warning, utterly despised danger and death, and instead of fearing them, feared rather to live in dishonor, and not to avenge his friend. Let me die forthwith, he replies, and be avenged of my enemy, rather than abide here by the beaked ships, a laughing sop and a burden of the earth. Had Achilles any thought of death and danger? For wherever a man's place is, 
whether the place which he has chosen or that in which he has been placed by a commander, there he ought to remain in the hour of danger. He should not think of death or of anything but of disgrace. And this, O men of Athens, is a true saying. Now, before we discuss this, it just reminded me, I think in the last couple of weeks, didn't they find Troy? I don't know, I haven't heard. Pretty sure they found it. Oh. Let me just I found quickly, it before. Let me quickly Google that. Actually, now that you mention it, I think I did even mention that in the uh, podcast with Joe Rogan. Uh, Most historians now agree that ancient Troy was to be found at Hisalik. Troy was real. Did something change? Why are they uh, sure that this is the spot now? Surprise discovery reveals ancient city of Troy and that it's five and a half thousand years old. <laughs> it's located in Turkey's northwestern Canakal province. It is located on a mound or tell historic overlooking the Aegean the GNC, yeah. The GNC, there you go, sorry. Stupid English. Um, yeah, you're right. It was on Joe Rogan. They were talking about it. Hmm. That's where I saw it. Yeah. That is a uh, hell of a long time ago. Five and a half thousand years. What do you help? Yeah, and there's a lot of people who for a long time have said it wasn't a real place. It's like mythology. Uh, whoops. <laughs> and um, Socrates is certainly talking about these guys uh, like they were legit people so yeah anyway there you go another example of things that we're starting to uncover it's pretty cool yeah. Uh, so yeah back to the passage uh, thoughts well I mean I, I think this is uh, Socrates just returning to form and sticking to his republic roots um, you know, he's playing the role of the just man and trying to do what is what is right. And, you know, the consequences of that are the consequences of that, you know. Um, I suppose, you know, some of it may well be putting on a bit of a brave face, but I don't think, I think he's quite prepared to die in this quest from the from what we've read so far so i don't think it's uh false you know uh you know posturing or anything yeah i think that's right um it doesn't seem like posturing hmm. it's also interesting he doesn't seem to care about death as much like anywhere near as much as actually just doing what is right or wrong yeah that's kind of his whole point isn't it yeah. What did you guys think of that line? A man who is good for anything ought not calculate the chance of living or dying. He ought only to consider whether in doing anything, if he's doing right or wrong, acting the part of a good man or a bad man. Because I think as soon as you start calculating it, then you're choosing a pathway that, that can lead away from doing what's right. So I think that's what he's saying. You know, if you're really good, 
you don't even need to calculate the chances because you're going to do the right thing anyway, right? Yeah, and I guess what his whole thing is, if it's the right thing to do, it's worth dying for. Yeah, but I don't know if it's further ahead or if it's something we already read where he's, where he's talking about death and... Yeah, that's still to come, yeah. Yeah, it's a little bit later. Foreshadowing. We won't say anything further yet. (laughs) (laughs) What do you guys think of him uh, referring to the old uh, Achilles slaying of Hector? That's an interesting little bit. I like that. Um, So, like... Masculine. To, to like, a... Yeah, like a like a simple version of that basically someone, I don't know, someone comes to Achilles and says, if you avenge your brother and kill Hector, it will lead to your death. And uh, Socrates is saying, well, uh, Achilles decided that he would rather die than live in dishonor and not avenge his friend. Yeah. I mean, say what you will about the tenets of vengeance. Uh, <laughs> he was, the point is he's trying to uh, yeah, live by a higher standard. Yeah. Yeah, you make a pretty strong statement. A man is good for anything. A man who is good for anything, (laughs) like um, basically, which is another way of saying if you're not trying to, if you're not at least trying to do the right thing, then you're good for nothing. Just go away. I don't, you know, I don't want anything to do with you. (laughs) It's pretty rough. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, he's 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 made it pretty clear like where his virtues lie, and that he's a man who sticks to his virtues no matter who it pisses off. And, mm. you know, I guess that's just kind of uh, sticking to his sticking to his story. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I guess maybe he's drawing a little bit on the, the, the story of heroes and all that sort of thing. <laughs> Probably doesn't hurt his case a little, you know, trying to draw a comparison because not many people would kind of compare a... Uh, um, an uh, overweight dude in rocks to uh, Achilles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Um, oh, well, that's, so that's his whole maybe, thing, isn't it? He's maybe. always talking about principles need to be essentially universalized. So, you know, those principles could show up in many different forms. Well, that and the, you know, the fact that the philosopher king was supposed to be a warrior as well as a scholar, right? So, uh, yeah. You know, well, um, yeah, in the next paragraph, we'll find out that... Uh, Old Socrates did do a bit of warrioring at some point. Well, and maybe you touched on something by accident there, Ruben. Maybe Achilles also wore Crocs, which is why he got <laughs> shot in the Achilles. <laughs> I think you've, just, you've solved it, mate. You figured it out. <laughs> Crocs are the downfall wearing, of warriors. If he was wearing proper sandals. The, uh, they're definitely the downfall of manhood. <laughs> yeah. Crocs undermine masculinity. <laughs> he had a, a frowny face emoji stuck on them at the time. I think that's what <laughs> I still think we should make some Crocs called Crocrates. Crocrates. Uh, yeah. I yeah. think they can sell. <laughs> For whatever a man's place is, whether the place which he has chosen or that in which he has been placed by a commander there ought to, there he ought to remain in the hour of danger. So, um, yeah, I like that. It makes a difference between whether you're there by choice or whether you're put there. Um, the point is you're there. 
you yeah. need to do your duty. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Hmm. Well, I'll, well um, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, what okay. do you, oh, I don't know. What do you, do you think um, that kind of sentiment is countercultural to today's sort of society? Pro- probably so, because we, we're in a society now where I'm not saying it's wrong or right, but you know, every life is sacred and it's kind of the age of the individual rather than the age of society or a, you know, a group of something, if you know what I mean. I think well, I didn't think of it that way, but you might be right because if you're going to do your duty, who are you doing your duty to? I mean, I suppose you could be doing it to the gods, but uh, to some risk, to, to some extent, you don't have a duty if there's nobody else around. Look, I think there's still certainly uh, patriots in many countries, right, who would do their duty for their country. Yeah. Uh, and look, amongst individuals and, you know, there's going to be pockets who will still do their duty for, you know, whomever they're aligned to, right? Yeah. But I well, think there's a, a lot more sort of general cultural feeling now of, I don't know, looking out for yourself as number one, um, everything else can suck it. Number two. Well, I'd say that's, I'd say that's there in general community, but I think the mm-hmm. army, Navy, Air Force, all those different organizations would still have this sort of attitude. I'd got agree. You've got a role to play and you're there to do a job. Mm. Yeah. I, it probably depends what country you're in too, because you know, like here in Australia, we don't have like a massively, um, like our society is not geared towards military service. Whereas I think if you go like to the US or something, I think military service and what the size of the military, it's such that it does drive a lot more people to want to serve maybe for their country. I don't, I don't think that's something that necessarily, I don't know, maybe Australia just sort of, keeps out of that stuff enough that <laughs> it's not been something where we have to have this massive military or, or something yeah. so that don't have that societal need to sort of drive that. But I think part of it is historically we got shafted a bit by um, the True. empire as well. I mean, you think about yeah. World War One; we were basically just used as cannon fodder and then mm. World War Two, similar thing. Um, yeah. You know, the, the the monarch wasn't too kind. Like, we were better in World War Two than we were in World War One in how we were treated. But I think, yeah, with how the monarchy's sort of weakened, and particularly now that the Queen's gone, I yep. think I think if England goes to war, I think a lot of Australians will say, "I don't care. We're not mm. going to go fight with them." Not all of them would, but I think there'd be a lot more than fifty years ago. Yeah, hundred percent. Hmm. Well, um, let's continue. We'll, we'll read the next paragraph. Strange indeed would be my conduct, O men of Athens, if I who, when I was ordered by the generals whom you chose to command me at Perdidia and Amphilus <laughs> and Dilium, remained where they placed me, like any other man facing death, if now, when, as I conceive and imagine, God orders me to fulfill 
the philosopher's mission of searching into myself and other men. I were to desert my post through fear of death or any other fear that would indeed be strange, and I might justly be arraigned in court for denying the existence of the gods if I obeyed the oracle because I was afraid of death, fancying that I was wise when I was not wise. For the fear of death is indeed the pretense of wisdom, and not real wisdom, being a pretense of knowing the unknown. And no one knows whether death, which men in their fear apprehend to be the greatest evil, may not be the greatest good. Is, uh, is not this ignorance of a disgraceful sort the ignorance which is the conceit that a man knows what he does not know? And in this respect only I believe myself to differ from men in general, and may perhaps claim to be wiser than they are, that whereas I know but little of the world below, I do not suppose that I know, but I do know that in justice and disobedience to a better, whether God or man, is evil and dishonourable, and I will never fear or avoid a possible good rather than a certain evil. And therefore, if you let me go now, and are not convinced by Anitus, who said that since I have been prosecuted, I must be put to death, or, if not that I ought never to have been prosecuted at all, and that if I escape now, your sons will be, will all be utterly ruined by listening to my words. If you say to me, Socrates, this time we will not mind Anitus, and you shall be let off, but upon the condition that you are not to inquire and speculate in this way any more, and that if you are caught doing so again, you shall die. If this was the condition on which you let me go, I should reply, Men of Athens, I honour and love you, but I shall obey God rather than you. And while I have life and strength, I shall never cease from the practice and teaching of philosophy, exhorting anyone whom I meet, and saying to him after my manner, You, my friend, a citizen of the great and mighty and wise city of Athens, are you not ashamed of heaping up the greatest amount of money and honour and reputation and caring so little about wisdom and truth and the greatest improvement of the soul, which you never regard or heed at all? And if the person with whom I am arguing says yes, but I do care, then I do not leave him or let him go at once, but I proceed to interrogate and examine and cross-examine him, and if I think that he has no virtue in him, but only says that he has, I reproach him with undervaluing the greater and overvaluing the less, and I shall repeat the same words to everyone whom I meet, young and old, citizen and alien, but especially to the citizens, inasmuch as they are my brethren. For know that this is the command of God, and I believe no greater good has ever happened in the state than my service to the God. For I do nothing but go about persuading you all, old and young alike, not to take thought for your persons or your properties, but first and chiefly to care about the greatest improvement of the soul. I tell you that virtue is not given by money, but that from virtue comes money and every other good of man, public as well as private. This is my teaching, and if this doctrine uh, if this is the doctrine which corrupts the youth, I am a mischievous person. But if anyone says that this is not my teaching, he is speaking an untruth. Wherefore, O men of Athens, I say to you, do as Anitus bids, or not as Anitus bids, and either acquit me or not. But whichever you do, understand that I shall never alter my ways, 
not even if I have to die many times. <laughs> I love that whole thing. Yeah, totally. In summary, he's basically saying, uh, he's like saying, this is what I'm doing. And if you let me go, I'm going to keep doing it. So factor that into your decision. <laughs> <laughs> that was also a really long paragraph. <laughs> I forgot it was that long. I turned the page. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I also love the bit about the, um, um, the arrogance of man to have, <clears throat> um, I suppose, thoughts about what the afterlife might be when they know nothing. And, yeah. and you know, what have you to fear? Um, because you how do you know. presume to know it's a bad thing or a good thing? Like, um, you don't know what's, what's beyond, beyond death. So um, I guess he's trying to <clears throat> call out, you know, this, this is the, the the reason for the way that he is, is that he doesn't make presumptions of that kind. He doesn't assume to know more than everybody else. And that's mm. what he points out. That's what makes me different. I don't, yeah. I don't have an arrogance. Um, yeah, although, I mean, everyone perceives it as arrogance, but that's, it's not what it is. It's actually in some way it's, it's humility, but yeah, it's funny how it gets viewed the other way around. Yeah. I will never fear or avoid a possible good rather than a certain evil. Do you reckon that's a good way to live? Say it again for me. I, um, I will never fear or avoid a possible good rather than a certain evil. Mm. So he's saying for all we know, death could be a possible good. Yeah, but there are things that I know are certainly evil. So if you're talking about a balancing act, why would you not yeah. just do the right thing, regardless of whether it leads to death? Mm. I mean, he's talking about an extreme circumstance where death is on the line. I don't know whether you could boil that principle down to, uh, you know, something a little bit more uh, mundane, but is it yeah. a good principle? I don't know. It, it's not bad as long as you're not throwing your life away. It's as long as it's principled. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, you want to be right about that principle. <laughs> yeah. Cause I mean, do you mean like yeah. you have to, are you, are you saying there's a time and a place for live to fight another day? Is that kind of what you're getting to? Well, maybe, but I mean, look, live by your principles, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, they're, they're, maybe it's. I'm trying to think how to word this. It's hard to get your noodle around. <laughs> yeah, remember that yeah. show? Um, the is it the Wheel of Time? Hmm. Yeah. So the, you know, spoiler alert for those who haven't watched it, but the sorceress chicks apparently can't lie yeah that's right so mm. it becomes like a weakness that if they get captured and interrogated as long as the correct questions asked they can't avoid giving the correct answer hmm so it kind of makes them weak is is that kind of a good example of what you're trying to talk about where like of not throwing it away like there could be a moment where 
you know, telling telling the truth or trying to do a good thing will get you killed. But for the bigger picture, it'd be much smarter if you kept yourself alive for that moment because you can have a greater impact later. Is that kind of what you mean? I, I um, just uh, would be concerned about death being viewed as a possible good. It's possibly good, possibly bad. You don't know, right? And it's mm. fine if you're going to put it on the line for something you believe in or that's something that has real purpose. But I guess you wouldn't want to put more balance in there that oh, could be a good thing, you know? Like, I'm just going to go throw myself on this guy's sword, you know what I mean? Like, um, yeah. <laughs> throw myself on his sword. <laughs> he's <referring>, Starfish. <laughs> like, he's referring to a certain evil. So, in that, in, in whatever scenario he's talking about, he's sure. saying that that is what, what, what you're balancing up against is something that's certainly evil. Yeah, uh, and that in that circumstance, I think you're apt. You know, he, he makes a, a solid point for sure. I am. Um, what do you call it? It reminds me a little bit of when he's talking about the nature of death, and we don't know whether it's good or bad. There's um, I heard this proverb. I don't know. I think it's like an Asian one or something, where it's a story where there's these two farmers and they're like tilling the field, and they've got one ox, and they apparently they grow radishes, and they're barely getting by. And then I think the ox like dies or something. And then I'm probably telling this wrong, by the way. Um, and then the son says to the father, oh, we're going to starve to death out here. And the dad's like, well, um, we don't know what it is yet. We don't know whether this is good or bad. Just wait. And then like, um, apparently something happens like uh, um, the, the fields are dying, but then a horse comes over the hill and he catches the horse and he's like, oh, we're, um, we're saved. We've got this horse. And his dad's like, well, we don't know whether it's good or bad or yet. So the son's mm -hmm. trying to get the horse to, to pull the plow and the horse takes off and runs up, up the hill, takes off again. And he goes back to his dad and he goes, oh, we're going to starve to death out here again. And his old man's again, he's like, well, we don't know what it is yet. We don't know whether it's good or bad. And then like the next day, the horse comes back with a whole, like a, a whole herd of horses behind him and they managed to capture him in the field. And the son's like, we're saved. We're going to be rich. We're going to sell horses. And his dad, once again, is like, well, son, we don't know what it is yet. Anyway, so this kid doesn't know anything about taming horses. So he's trying to break these horses and he falls off and shatters his leg in 10 places or something. And he goes, and his dad drags him into the house. And he's like, oh, dad, we're going to starve to death out here. This is horrible. And his dad, once again, goes, well, we don't know what it is yet. Just wait. And then uh, the story goes that the Shogun comes over the hill with a whole army and comes to the dad and says, um, we're going off to fight, I don't know, the Chinese or something. Um, give us your son. He has to go to battle. And he's like, oh, he can't walk. He's a cripple now. And so then they, wrote, they, they go, oh, whatever. And they ride off. And then they get all get annihilated. Um, but the idea being, well, we don't know what it is yet. And I feel like that's kind of like what Socrates is saying. Well, he's like, well, I don't know what death is. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know whether it's good or bad, but just wait and see, you know, I don't know what it is yet, but there's no point getting stressed mm -hmm. out about it. <laughs> well, I think that's sort of like one of the, the, the Epictetus, um, you know, Stoic philosophies as well from memory is like something along the lines of like, it's like sort of like deal with the situation, like, not the fear of the potential situation, like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Just being the moment. It's good, good advice. I mean, how many people have anxiety about what might happen that never comes to be, 
but they spend a lot of time stressing about stuff, you know? Everybody does it at some point. Some people do it a lot more than others. Um, how much energy it takes from you and all that sort of thing, you know? So it's, it's good advice. You don't know. Wait and see. Yeah. You know? Hard to do, but good advice. Oh, yeah, easy, easy said, hard to do. Yeah. What do you think about the part where he says, uh, from virtue comes all good things? Ooh. Oh, yeah, about the cash, the cash money. I tell you the... that virtue is not given by money, but that from virtue comes money and every other good of man, public as well as private. Well, this is the story of the better man, isn't it? Right, the good man. And Yeah, um... I suppose in the Republic, they're sort of balancing that against justice or that kind of almost becomes a definition of justice mm. um you know what's the uh what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul yeah well also in the, the the fact that more or less i think he was pointing out that you know searching for money and riches was kind of the one of the the, the roots of evil and you know that's why he was making the warriors of the republic um you know to not be able to touch gold or whatever it was you know to keep them away from the property oh yeah Yeah. keep them pure you know um pure of heart and you know money is like a taint so um but uh, yeah look he'd always uh put forward that um it was better to be good and that good things would come from being good. Um, <laughs> and that was like the, you know, the opposite of what um, Thrasymachus was proposing and saying, you know, it was better to be bad and uh, uh, rape, pillage and steal in order to get ahead everywhere you can. Cause that's what everyone else does. Yeah. Um, so I think this is just, you know, this is just part of Socrates philosophy he's speaking to here. Absolutely clearly, you know, yeah, and he's, yeah. he's saying that any every other good of man comes from virtue, not from riches. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think there's a lot of truth in that when you consider that somebody who has a lot of money is um, not necessarily going to be happy or better off or be a better person. That's I mean I think everyone knows that's true. It's like um, was a, a a bloke that I used to work with. Um, we used to talk about that. We used to talk about mowing the lawn. And he's like, I derive a lot of joy just mm. being out there mowing my lawn, getting the edging right and having it night. And he's like, I know it's a dumb, simple thing. He's like, but he he derives joy from that. And it's like, if you can't figure out how to enjoy those little things, then how are you going to enjoy the big things? I think there's some truth in that. That's what you know, he used to say. If you can't, if you can't figure out how to enjoy the small things in life, you're not going to enjoy mm. the big things. That's similar to that quote about traveling that, um, you know, with, with people who keep moving from place to place, it's like, you, it doesn't matter where you live. You take yourself with you. Mm. Yeah. Mm. You can't run away from your problems kind of thing. You mean? Well, you can't run away from yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, going back to the money thing, I think that <clears throat> quote that he had in there kind of, uh, cements what he was all about there and saying, um, 
for I do nothing but go about and chiefly to care about the greatest improvement of the soul. I tell you that virtue is not given by money, but that the virtue comes from money and every other good. So it's all about the soul. It's all about being the good man. And that that's where you, that's where the, the wealth of your life will come from, whether it's financial mm. wealth, but spiritual wealth, maybe. And yeah. I suppose that was the life of, um, um, God, I'm trying to remember the names. Uh, was it Thrasymachus's father? I can't remember if it was Thrasymachus's father that we have at the start of the Republic. The old yeah. man who's, um, you know, lived a good life. And he says, you know, uh, I made a little money, you know, not much more than my father, but I didn't really lose any. But I didn't stab anyone in the back on the way through. So I sleep easy at night, not worrying <laughs> about, you know, uh, facing the scales um, at the end of my life to see whether I lived a good life or a bad life. So I sleep well. And I, um, you know, feel comfort in my soul, you know, going, yeah. going to sleep. Mm. What's that worth to you? I reckon that's, that's pretty damn good. <laughs> yeah. Can't put a price on that. Uh, sleeping well is worth much. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, that's actually where I was planning to end last podcast. We'll keep going, but I thought, this was like, um, a, there is a, there is a, a slight, there is a slight shift in focus after that paragraph. Yeah. So if you wanted to wrap up now, you could, but I'm happy to keep going. Whatever you want to do. I think, I think we do one more and then or two more, depending on how long the next one takes, but yeah, we'll keep going. All right. I'll read the next one. Men of Athens do not interrupt, but hear me. There was an understanding between us that you should hear me to the end. I have something more to say, at which you may be inclined to cry out, but I believe that to hear me will be good for you, and therefore I beg that you will not cry out. I would have you know that if you kill me, such an one as I am, you will injure yourselves more than you will injure me. Nothing will injure me, not Miletus, nor yet Anitus. They cannot, for a bad man is not permitted to injure a better than himself. I do not deny that Anitus may perhaps kill him or drive him into exile or deprive him of civil rights, and he may imagine, and others may imagine, that he is inflicting a great injury upon him. But there I do not agree, for the evil of doing as he is doing, the evil of unjustly taking away the life of another, is greater far. Greater far. <laughs> I uh, I kind of like this, you know. He's um, throwing a bit of sizzle and uh, going all going <laughs> all. Uh, <laughs> he's going all Obi Wan Kenobi on this bit. If you strike me down, I will become more powerful than you could possibly. <laughs> I just had visions of Snoop being Socrates for some reason. Like I'm so frizzle, <laughs> I'm going to throw down some snizzle. <laughs> snizzle for frizzle, yeah. So I do like it. I like how he starts out by saying, um, do not interrupt. So it's clear that whatever he said on the last bit, people mm. were starting to crack the shits and try to talk over him. <laughs> yeah, do not interdizzle. <laughs> but he, he's kind of saying, but he goes, what? He goes, you, if that's upsetting you, wait till you hear this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you um, know, it's, it's uh, you know, I, I don't know. It's do you call it a threat? 
what he's kind of put out there? Or do you think it's a statement of what he perceives to be fact? I think he's saying, hey, guys, I've got a gift for you. Just hear me out. You're going to love this because I'm doing <laughs> this for your good. Um, what do you think? Um, so he's admitting, he's like, look, these guys might kill me, but what they're doing is wrong. So they're only, he's almost saying you're only hurt harming yourself. Yeah. 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 So as Lachlan said, it's the Obi-Wan Kenobi moment. Yeah. Right. What do you think about though, for a bad man, he's not permitted to injure a better man than himself. Like I'm guessing there he's talking about like, he's going real abstract again, like about, you know, the purity of your soul type thing. He's like, if somebody harms you, they're being, they're acting unjustly, <clears throat> which means they're harming their own soul. And then it mm-hmm. kind of blends into that whole stoic philosophy where, but if your soul is pure, then they're not actually hurting you, which, you know, that kind of reminds us all of that Epictetus stuff where he's kind of like, yeah. you know, if you lose it, just give it back and all that sort of gear. It about, does you know, just, it's just an impression. Like they're basically saying they're sullying themselves by acting in this way, but I've done nothing wrong. Yeah, it does feel like the seeds of stoicism here. Like I've just, you can throw all these things at me, but all you're doing is uh, putting mud on your own hands. Yeah, Yeah, sorry, you go, mate. Well, you know, I think it was also that bit you were saying about like Epictetus there, you know, it was like the, uh, you know, like the life is borrowed, and that you're just sort of giving it back. Um, So it's kind of like, you know, you're not injuring me, you know, it was never mine to begin with. So um, at the same time, you're you're doing an act of evil. So you're you're definitely sliding yourself more than you're sliding me. Yeah, and he throws in, and he may imagine and others may imagine that he's inflicting a great injury upon him, but there I do not agree. So he's, so he's saying like, you're doing this stuff to me and you're probably doing it because you think you're going to hurt me, but you're not going to hurt me. Hmm. You're only going to hurt yourself. It's kind of what he's saying. eh? Oh yeah. Well, I think he's taking the whole power out of the situation as well, because like, you know, he's on trial and this is being sort of like lauded before the court that, you know, or his life's hanging in the balance and, you know, we can, we can take it from him and that sort of thing. And he's like, you can take it, but that's, you know, that's evil that you're conducting. Do you want evil in your soul? I'm okay. I'm cool with it. Right. That's what you want to do. But, you know, you're not taking any power away from me. All you're doing is bringing more evil into your soul. But do you think he's commenting on their, I think you're right, but do you think he's commenting on their motive too? When he makes reference to, um, like, you think you're going to hurt me. You may imagine that doing this to me is going to harm me because you hate me, but. Could be. I mean, uh, look, it's obvious, like, from the crowd calling out and all that sort of thing, that there are people who are upset or feel like they have been slighted by him. And he's made it clear why that would likely be, and he understands that. But at the same time, he's not apologizing for it. Um, you know, <laughs> it's like, 
look, I'm trying to come from a good place here. I understand it might be uncomfortable for you to face the truth that you're, uh, I don't know, selfish asshole or something. And I'm just pointing that out to you, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> truth hurts. I don't know, <laughs> but I mean, he sort of said it in the previous, um, uh, paragraph too, you know, um, I'm going to do what God has commanded me to not what you guys want me to do. So I'm, I'm doing what God's asked me to do. So you tell me how I could be doing the wrong thing, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's like, there's your options guys. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Any thoughts to me? Mm, not, not any additional. I, I agree with what you guys have said about it. Um, yeah, I'm just picturing Obi-Wan Kenobi wearing Crocs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do they actually show his shoes in Star Wars? No, there could well be Crocs under the, uh, Probably, man, under that robe. Under the robe, yeah. We might be onto something. <laughs> that might be why Kenobi couldn't move fast when he was older. <laughs> it's like um it's like a scotsman's kilt or something is that right like you just don't know what's going on under there <laughs> no jocks just crocs <laughs> that's the jedi way <laughs> no jocks just crocs <laughs> Well, I think uh, that'll do. I think we'll head over to the pub for lots of us. What do you guys think? Don't worry. All right, let's yeah. the, the pub. Okay. I actually don't mind that uh, little piece of music that we put over the top. I know you guys can't hear it. It's because it's not actually playing. I'm just hearing it in my mind's eye. <laughs> but um uh, da, 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 da. there's something I want to do. Uh, I need to hold down now I'm learning how to use my Mac here. Oh there we go, that worked. And uh I'll just quickly do this. So what I'm trying to do guys is um Here it is. Oh, look at this on the fly production. Learning like a noob. <laughs> and then file save. You say on the fly, but from our end, we can't see anything happening. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's let's find out if that worked. Oh wow, what's that? Okay. I'm trying to drop this in here. There we go. Can you guys see that? Yep. Alright. Yep. So yep. I'll stick it over my mug for a minute. Uh -huh. 
All right, so we actually had the privilege of going to go see uh, Jordan Peterson uh, in the city the other day. Uh, I really enjoyed it. It's, the only thing I didn't like were the seats. The seats sucked. Yeah, um, terrible. My body has not recovered from those seats even after a week. Um, back was not happy. But other than that, um, really enjoyed it. So I've, what I've put on the screen here for those listening is a copy of the 12 rules from the most recent book that Jordan Peterson's done. And he discussed two rules on the night from that book. Uh, so one of them was rule one, which is do not carelessly denigrate social institutions or creative achievement. Uh, and the second one... Uh, was uh, 10 plan and work diligently to maintain the romance in your relationship oh uh, yeah I was like what was the second one I remember the first one so he had his wife come out at the start and they talked about how they've maintained having date nights every week and hmm. um, trying to keep their marriage strong and then obviously they had a few years of bad health between the two of them they've come out yep. the other side of that um, we've all been married quite a long time. I passed 20 years this year. How long have you been married for, Lachlan? 16 years. And Rubes? Oh, 12. Yeah, so we're all past that 10-year stage. Um, I found it pretty good. Um, we, My wife and I, on Friday nights, our kids go to a group hosted by our church for two and a half hours so this year we've been trying out all the local restaurants on friday nights so we drop the kids off and then come home get dressed in nice clothes and we go and have some good food somewhere and um nice. that's been really cool it's been really good sort of <laughs> reconnecting like that particularly after going on the big holiday together mm. and i look forward to it um, every week so I agree with the, the date night idea. I think it's a good idea. Um, how about you, Lachlan? What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, uh, my wife and I sort of do something similar. Um, so it's pretty much like when uh, the, the kids uh, go to bed on Friday night, um, we'll always, <laughs> we're not going out because we've got three kids and we haven't, can't leave them anywhere. But um, I'll go get some takeout and we sort of have our own, uh, date night once the kids have gone to bed so we'll have dinner together and just sort of chat and all that sort of stuff um once they've sort of gone to bed but uh yeah once a week we do that yeah yeah nice hmm. uh rubes do you do anything sort of to that degree uh i don't know i don't know whether i'm in a slightly different situation from you guys our youngest is now two so we were sort hmm. of at that point uh but then we had another one so um sort of back in the has anyone got any time to do anything anymore zone <laughs> so the date night worked too well and now you've got another <laughs> one <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, by, by the time uh they hit about four you'd be able to get back into the date night groove maybe yeah i don't know i i don't like calling it a date mm. I know, I get it. Well, not really either, but it's just kind of... Yeah. Um, you got to call it something, so whatever, call it a date night, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I think it, going out though is a novelty thing. We don't we don't do that very much. <laughs> I I think calling it a date night is it gives it a a goal almost like a clear objective of it's um different. It's not just dinner without the kids. It's actually we're gonna go and do something fun that we used to do before kids. So mm. yeah, I think it just gives it maybe some sort of different set of rules maybe or different significance I'm not quite sure exactly what the magic is but it certainly feels different from just oh the kids aren't home let's have some you know toasted avocado and cheese sandwiches or something it's actually let's treat I, ourselves I we, a little bit yeah you're trying to put yourself in the headspace that you're gonna make them important and you know yourself and have a you know yeah, put yourself in the moment to have a good time, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, so the G- general Jordan Peterson experience, which we talked about at the start of the show, of we're going to go from A to B via C to Z. Um, there was a point probably half an hour in where he switched from rule one to rule 10 and he hadn't finished addressing rule one properly mm. and it occurred to me like, oh, hang on, you haven't actually completed all of your argument for rule one. And then I remembered who I was listening to and I just went, well, I'm sure we'll come back to it at some point. So I'm just going to let go of that and enjoy the ride. And then he did <laughs> halfway through rule 10, he closed rule one. And I was like, wow, legend. <laughs> uh, what did you guys think? Is it a similar sort of ex- experience or? Yeah. I, I mean, uh, I, I hadn't, read his uh his book i've got that book and i haven't read it yet because uh i know we'd sort of talked about we might do that one day but it was kind of like we'll, we'll do some of the uh the classic philosophy sort of stuff first mm. uh, but i do listen to uh quite a lot of his podcasts and all that sort of stuff though so i'm, I'm familiar with his um his, his style and the way he sort of goes about things so not not terribly surprised um but i have to say i, I quite enjoyed the um uh, maybe the question time stuff more so than the sort of discussion from the book. Um, because I think it's sort of where his creativity of like thinking and you see, you can sort of see that thinking process. And I find that quite interesting, the way he approaches, approaches things. Um, whereas you'd think it was quite funny though. Like, cause I mean, this is a, a book he's written and he talks about all the time. And it's quite funny how we sort of had such big tangents on that, uh, um, on that topic, but I know, I know he doesn't rehearse and he has a different conversation every time. So that that's, that's part of the thing, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I haven't seen him before you, you have. So is that similar to the experience I, you'd had before? Yeah. I, I feel like he has, when he's like a gaming analogy, I feel like he has a really mad deck of cards. Like he's got this big deck of cards and when he's in conversation uh, and there's like a, a topic here, he's got, oh, I've got four cards for that. And you'll go boom, boom, boom and sort of explore those four cards and use them in a different way. And then mm. now it's shifted to this direction and now, oh yeah, I know this, these things. So let's throw those in there. And so it's kind of like being a chef or something. Like he, he knows what ingredients to throw at that topic and how to sort of mm. unpack it. Um, 
so having listened to him as much as I have, there's things in there that are familiar, and even just little throwaway lines that he has said reminds me of. I remember him using that line for like twenty minutes worth of talking somewhere else, and so then those things sort of come to mind. So, yeah, yeah. What what were your thoughts, Ruben? Did you think he was a sophist, or what was your thoughts? <laughs> oh, I found him really rambly. Um, I, and I didn't really feel like he was presenting an argument per se, but just sort of uh, just discussing some of the ideas that you put in the book. Um, I, I liked about halfway, he was starting to lose me a bit. And then he started to talk about ideology. And I'm like, oh, that's what I want to hear about. That's what I'm interested in. But then he, I think then he realized, oh, hang on, I can't actually start talking about this because I need to have a plan. And then so he, <laughs> so then he kind of just cut it short. And he just goes, well, uh, 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 well, what I'm saying is not ideology. And then just moved on. And I'm like, well, that's not an argument, dude. That's just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think he might have just been trying to save time. <laughs> um, but uh, no, no, it was, it was interesting, I guess. Um, but like I said, I don't think... I didn't feel like he was presenting an argument as much as he was just sort of generally speaking about the idea of institutions and that people might derive meaning from it. Um, I couldn't help but think uh, if he went back and listened to that and then sat down and summarised it, he could probably say everything he said in about 15 minutes. Oh, 100%. That's but having said that, maybe, that, maybe that's the entertainment value. Maybe people like that. And maybe it was the chairs because my legs are going to sleep and I was just like, I've got to get up. Yeah, Man, I'm, I know we're very tall with you guys, but uh, I, I still found the chairs uncomfortable. So, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, I think it is the like I enjoy the way he shoots from the hip with it. Like, mm, yeah, it's an hour of him unpacking his thoughts and ideas with essentially no notes. The only notes he had were the rules printed in front of him, mm. and that certainly difficult to do but I, I think I'm with you Lachlan I think I enjoyed the question time more because I think um, I think it's easier to craft a performance than it is to craft an answer to a question you don't know is coming hmm. so I think you see genuine Jordan Peterson when he tries to answer questions like that of it. this is actually how he thinks and then you see the flavor is very similar and the way that he unpacks the question is very similar to how he explores the ideas he wants to discuss. And then that sort of gives credence to that he's being genuine when he's exploring those ideas. How much do you think it was performance and how much do you think it was uh, lecture? I suppose you could say a lecture is a performance, but not really. Well, how much of it... Do you... I'll put it this way, how much of it do you think was rhetorical and how much do you think of it was dialectic, like as in information? Ooh, uh, they're two different questions. I'll start no, with the first one. Question. No, they're two different questions because the, the first one, like a good sermon to me at church, for example, is um, I, I don't like a sermon where the preacher doesn't look people in the eye. Well, I, I don't like a sermon where I feel like the preacher is preaching to a spot in the back wall or to a camera or 
and, and they're like reciting. I, I don't find that. So that would be more, that would be more information and less rhetoric. Is it more information and less rhetoric though? I don't well, that's what I, draw, I, draw, I draw a distinction there. I, well, what's I your, the what's best, your distinction? The best, the, I'd say the best rhetoric is backed up by solid information. Yeah. Whereas rhetoric, uh, or whereas bad rhetoric is just very influential, but not really like very influential and entertaining, but not really much underlying it. Which is why, like, I, what, I was thinking about thinking back to watching it. I wonder how much of it was performative and just pure rhet rhetorically entertaining, and how much of it was actually information. Yeah. So that's my point with when when he was giving his lecture he's walking one way and the other and sort of looking at the floor and looking at the sky and that felt a bit performative but when he was just sitting in the chair and he gets asked a question and he like thinks about it and leans forward and looks at like a person talks and then looks at that person talks that feels far more genuine to me and it's the same with when someone's doing a sermon if the guy gets up the front has his notes but sort of is looking at you and and makes a point and then goes somewhere else and makes a point that's different to someone who essentially if there's five thousand people or fifty people in front of them they act in exactly the same way and they look in exactly the same direction do you get what i'm trying to say well i just i, I just found that i got I tuned back in when he started to actually talk about research. So if, I don't know whether that's just the way I'm geared, but to me, when he sort of came back to that sort of stuff, I was like, oh, hang on, that, that's the information underlying it um, more than just some, just like a, a, a influential way of speaking or presenting the information. Mind you though, like, I don't, I don't know that he's really out, oh, sometimes he is, but I wouldn't say he's generally out there like, necessarily trying to influence i think he's just trying to put his his thoughts like, out yeah. there and, and look you can say hey like man that's just like an opinion man and sometimes it is um sometimes it is backed up by fact and you know he can sort of cite some stuff there but i would say that he does think through his opinions and tries to demonstrate the reasoning for them if you know what i mean so it's 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 not doesn't tend to be a shallow opinion if you know what i mean even if it is an opinion it's like this is why i've landed on that because i've thought through this 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 that's why he goes down all those rabbit holes because he sort of tries to maybe it's a, a less organized socratic way of kind of like trying to step you through to get you there yeah. um well if you guys have to summarize the gist of what he said in the main lecture part what where would you come down on it? What, what would you, if you had to like just make up a couple lines, say what he was talking about? I think his main point is the traditional institutions like marriage are necessary for stability and things to function properly, but that if they are not regularly maintained and updated, that they become stale and that they fail still. So not having them leads to failure, having them, but not updating them leads to failure. 
So the only way for them to function properly is if you have them, but then keep updating them, such as date nights and recommitments and that sort of thing for the marriage scenario. That's sort of what I took away from that. Is that what you got logged on? Uh, I got, I got similar there. I, I suppose like the different things like pop out to different people, I suppose, depending on what you're thinking about, but well, what, I, if it's a, what if it's a well thought out lecture? <laughs> that's not Maybe, what he's trying to do. I'm not suggesting that's what he's trying to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I'm not so sure, but I, I suppose a bit like you, um, I didn't take so much away from the, the first sort of part of it. Um, I found mm, question two. Yeah, yeah I, I found question two um, or rule, the second rule he kind of tackled more interesting to me and then the question time more interesting for me again too um the thing like tim was talking about there that's the second rule is about the um um i suppose the relationships and stuff like that i think that interesting thing he was pointing out there too was about the um doing that stuff um regularly it was like um practice and that you were not doing a routine to make something boring, but you are working at something to make sure it was as, as good as it could be. And that when you do get challenged, you've got a solid foundation you can lean on and that, you know, you know, the dance steps, you've been through them a hundred times before. And I don't know, there, there's something interesting in that because it's not something I'd thought about before. Um, mm. I mean, if anything, I mean, I don't, treat his lectures like a sermon, but it's probably more just kind of, I don't know, um, I wouldn't say like conversation starters, but it's just kind of like mental fertilizer or something like that. It's just sort of planting seeds <laughs> to sort of um, start thinking and challenging some of the things that you think about yourself, you know. Um, yeah. I don't necessarily like, I know he's giving you 12 steps or whatever to follow, but I haven't followed the steps and I don't know what they are. So <laughs> I just find them as more sort of like interesting prompts for my own sort of further sort of thought. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or call it like a trigger to think things through for yourself. Yeah. Well, it's just sometimes it's stuff like, uh, you know, I, I know I mentioned to you guys when we were leaving the, the theater, you know, one of the, the concepts he was talking about there, which I, I kind of liked and I hadn't thought about before was, you know, that the perfect partner for you is somebody who does um, push back on you and not in a disrespectful way, but challenges you enough um, in the right ways that it's sort of supporting and helps you grow um, rather than being someone who just gives in to what you want to do every time and is a doormat for you know, you don't learn anything from that. You're not supported by that. There's no, you know, people, I agree, uh, sort of <clears throat> do better with challenge in life. Um, and you need to have a bit of challenge and I'm not saying that marriage should be like a, like, you know, wrestling match or something, but, um, enough challenge, you know, to, um, to get more, to get better. Um, rather than sort of being lazy, if you know what I mean, like ment mentally lazy or 
Yeah, well, I think we had, I think we had some interesting stuff there. But... Yeah, there's some interesting stuff. I because I, see, I don't know whether this is maybe I'm way off, um, but my if I had to boil down what he was the gist of it, what I took away was he's essentially saying that people need meaning to operate. They derive those sense of meaning and purpose from the institutions. So basically you start tearing them down. That's just a bad idea because you're just going to suck people's purposes out of, mm. uh, out of their existence. That was, that, that was one what I was saying. Yeah, I, I, I heard that as well. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah. That's right. And then it was also like what, what does give meaning and, and that's where I think Ruse were talking about it on the drive back to our places of just um, responsibility being meaning and how that's flawed <laughs> because of if well, you're incapacitated and we were talking about the similar issues I have with stoicism mm. when you have things like dementia and that sort of stuff that the you lose control of that I feel like that's a whole nother show though to talk that through <laughs> well look I know he's talked about some of this stuff in um, some of his podcasts with like Bishop Barron and others specifically talking about you know the church and religion and what that can give people um in that there is some more purpose there and um you know beyond just doing your job and it yeah i don't know look i guess he wasn't keen to go go down sort of talking those kind of um pathways that's kind of gets into a pretty big conversation there on its own but <laughs> yeah yeah 100 mm. well i reckon we wrap it up there because it's getting late we started much later than normal and i think all three of oh, us yeah. are ready to go to bed because we're old yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah uh for those of you watching or listening uh thanks for joining us as we keep working through uh, the apology by plato and um i want to give a shout out to my mate Adrian, who's uh, been listening to us, um, we're going to send him a free copy of the book, and I uh, hope you enjoy that and read along with us. And um, uh, once again, I'll probably chuck the link for this uh, into the episode description in case anyone else listening wants to order that from Amazon. You can get a Kindle edition as well for about two or three bucks, so uh, pretty easy to find, pretty easy to get your hands on, mm. and. Uh, yeah, so remember, uh, the Republic wasn't built in a day and neither are middle-aged men. And we'll see you next time after we've had some sleep. <laughs> see you later. Cheers. Take it easy, guys. <laughs>